my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Today's interview is with Houston-based YouTuber Beasley. Beasley is a YouTuber who I believe has a natural relationship with the camera and is someone that you should follow. Today, he'll share his professional and personal experiences as a Black gay millennial. Welcome, and thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? Oh, I'm pretty good. What time is it where you're at in Houston? It is 3.05 p.m. Yeah, and you said you're in the U.K., so it's about like almost 8 o'clock over there? No, I'm just after 9 p.m. here. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, this time of year, it's fully daylight right now. Really? At 9 o'clock? 9 o'clock. The same as in uh, Scandinavia and Sweden and Norway. Wow. You learn something mm. new every day that you don't learn in school. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, uh, how's the weather there? Because I've never been to Houston, but I've heard it can be very humid. Ooh, it is hot. Hotter than hell. Humid, humid, humid. The gym is kind of like set up in a warehouse. Like I was there before this interview and I feel like I was about to pass out. I feel like I wasn't doing a whole lot, but the humidity gets to you to where you can't breathe and not enough water can save your life. Like it was just like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I've been to Tennessee. I had an aunt who lived there for a brief moment, and I felt like a cat when we got out of the car. I just kind of fell to the pavement. I was like, this is a lot. And I'm from Arizona, which has a dry heat like Las Vegas. See, I can take that heat. Like, I've been to Vegas multiple times, and I can wear a full-on suit outside with no issue. Oh, wow. Nothing beats the Texas heat, I'm telling you. Like, come prepared. Uh-huh. <laughs> To kind of center us where we're at right now, how are you feeling at this moment? I'm feeling good, a little nervous, not even going to lie to you because this is my first interview. I'm just like, wow, somebody wants to interview me. Like, I'm not even that big of a platform yet, but I'm very, very appreciative of this interview and I'm very, very glad to be talking to you and be here. I started watching season three of Pose. I'm just barely on episode two. But I had heard that Janet Mock had had a meltdown. And I said, well, that doesn't make sense. She's always come across in her public persona as being so poised. And so, of course, I logged on to YouTube. And one of the videos that came up as the top one was yours commenting on that. And what I liked about yours was that it was honest, but it felt balanced and professional for me. And, you know, I know you say you're a newbie at this, but you seem to come off very natural. You seem comfortable with the camera. But more than anything, I just like what you had to say. You were honest, but I felt that you were honest and you were also respectful too. Well, thank you for calling me professional because <laughs> I think that's a lot. That's a great compliment. But yeah, um, the whole thing with Pose, for one thing, I love Pose. But I just feel like there's just something deeper going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. And a lot of people may have liked it. It was kind of okay to me. Mm -hmm. There's just like a lot going on behind the scenes and with Janet Mock and her current position in the industry that I'm not privy to. But her lashing out kind of gave a little bit of insight to that, that she's not as respected as the media would put on. 
as well as the other transgender actresses on the show. I mean, granted, thankfully, a lot of them have jobs now and are like getting jobs after this show, which I completely feared. But I just still feel like there's a whole disconnect in regards to how they treat the transgender woman on the show versus like the black gay men when the show is about transgender women, if that makes sense. That makes me think that maybe they're relying more on the people that have a name in the industry or in the media. Absolutely. I'll be honest, this season, I'm challenged. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not the actors. To me, I think it's the writing. I don't want to ruffle too many favors because I will be working with these people in the future. Manifestation. But there's a big disconnect in the writer's room. The people that are writing for the characters have no real genuine connection to the characters and haven't really walked their life. So it's kind of hard to write for them, no matter how creative they are. Not every movie or every show, but like majority of the pieces of entertainment we get are kind of like a surface level approach to the character. There's nobody that's writing like at a deeper level for these characters because they can't relate to the people they're writing for. What you just said, I feel like for this season, only just seeing the first episode, that the characters are becoming caricatures, kind of similar to what a lot of Black women, either as actresses or the characters that they play, become. As a Black person and as a Black gay person, I want to see more depth. I completely agree. It's like that surface level approach. Like, no shade to Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy is amazing. But it's like, why do we have like white gay men writing for black and brown, transgender women and black gay men? Like, Where are the transgender writers? Mm-hmm. They're out there. Where are the black gay writers? They're definitely out there. I think you mentioned that in your commentary, and I hadn't really thought of it. I think because a name like Janet Mock came on and I saw her name in the credits, I haven't done any research, but I just assumed that there were Black writers or Black people behind the scenes that were, what do you call those people who are on set to kind of say, yeah, a person from this background wouldn't really say that or talk that way or do that thing. Like a show? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't myself know the ball scene, but all that to say, um, I really liked your commentary. And watching that, of course, I've seen a couple ones uh, after that, but one of the other ones that stood out to me was Meghan Markle. And especially because I'm here in the UK and I don't engage people in conversation here because that can get tricky. (laughs) But, you know, I liked a lot of what you said about that particular experience that she shared in her interview with Oprah. I'm not going to cuss. No, you could talk. Be yourself. (laughs) Well, the fact that she got her inward wake up call on the grandest scale, which is in the Royal Palace. (laughs) And I won't disagree on that. We don't know her, but... Based on the optics of life as an identifiable Black person, I do wonder if this was her first real taste of living life 24-7 as a quote-unquote Black person, because publicly that was just known now, and then being in that institution and just the history behind that. I think this was her first time identifying as a Black woman, because... Even if you go back on her social media years ago, you don't ever see her with any Black friends. Like when she started dating Prince Harry. So I think you mentioned in one of your videos that you're 20? I am 28. 28 and great. Oh, 28. Okay. Well, you look young, but you're older than what I assumed you were. One person thought I was 17. I can see that. (laughs) You can see that? Oh, my God. (laughs) I do moisturize daily, so maybe that's what it is. I'll be 29 in August. So you're from Houston, born and raised. 
Yes. Born and raised in, uh, speaking of college, I went to Prayer View. I got my bachelor's degree in marketing, which to be honest with you, I have not even put to use. <laughs> as far as like working like in the marketing capacity, I haven't been able to. After I got out of college, I was mainly in the fashion world. I started off as a sales associate at Nordstrom. And then I also became like a personal stylist and also a department manager. From then, I went on to work in the corporate world. And I worked in the corporate America for two years at a mattress company and then also as an analyst in a fashion company. That kind of came to an end when the pandemic hit. The company I was with in the fashion world shut down completely. I was on my way to becoming a fashion buyer. And then those dreams kind of just like fell to the wayside. Honestly, and deep down, like I didn't like corporate America. I got to keep it real with you. Corporate America to me was a bunch of bullshit. It was not fulfilling to me at all. Like, yeah, the money was great. The benefits were great. You got your weekends off. You got a good amount of vacation, but it just was not filling me up internally. And I always just knew that I was meant for something a lot greater. Now, I will say at the age of 28, I am a rookie. I'm still very green in life. I feel like I'm actually just starting my life, to be honest with you. You know, 2020 to me was the year of revelation. Just like really like stepping outside of yourself and looking at who you are as a person. That was actually the year in December I decided to come out to my family. Recently. Yes, very recently. I don't know if there was like a shift in the universe because I thought for sure my family was homophobic. Like I thought for sure that I was not going to be accepted at all. But everybody welcomed me with open arms. And then most of them were like, Jerome, we already knew. (laughs) (laughs) My little brother, he was even like, my friend is gay and he saw you on Grindr. So we already knew that you were gay. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's um, my little coming out story. But back to my professional life, there was something more to me as a person than just sitting behind a desk typing, being miserable and depressed. Like there was something more to me than that. And during the pandemic, when I was unemployed for like seven months, I was unemployed for majority of that year. At first I had a lot of anxiety about it, but when that unemployment money started rolling in and I was making more than what I was making, I was like, okay, let me just go ahead and just party around this city like a housewife with no responsibility. Like (laughs) unemployment was good to me, bitch. But I knew that I wanted to start something creative And I had always been into YouTube. I've been basically like a YouTube comment troll since I was like in high school. Like I would always be up in the comments, giving my commentary. But in 2020, when I had this new downtime, I was just like, you know what? Why don't I just make a channel myself? I always have a lot to say on current events, celebrity news and other um, like video game news and other gossip, other topics. Let me just make my own channel. Now, to start off, I was so nervous. I didn't want to upload them at all. I had like a little bit of body dysmorphia. I didn't like the way I looked in the camera. And then for two, I'm just like, nobody's going to give a fuck about what I have to say, yada, yada, yada. But then one day I had uploaded five videos and they were all uploaded as private at first. And then one day I was just like, you know what? Let me just put these all public. Let it just play from there. I kid you not, the first two or three videos I got was like 50 views. And this was with no type of like work around, no type of um, monetization, no type of um, the magic that YouTubers do to get more traction to the channel. Like I didn't do none of that. Like there was just raw footage and me just giving commentary of what was on my mind. I'm doing pretty well. I am a very, very small YouTuber, but I will say my channel is consistently growing. I'm almost at 400 subscribers now and I have a goal by the end of the year to be at 2000. There you go. I'm gonna pray on it and just keep on putting out the content. 
I also have other dreams as well. Like I said, I wasn't going to mention them earlier, but I'm just going to say it. I recently got signed to an acting agency. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm trying to get my P's and Q's together so I can prepare for that. And I'm also in the process of doing makeup artistry. I'm actually apprenticing under a makeup artist who has her own brand. Outside of YouTube, those are the two things that I'm doing. And hopefully one day when I like master them, one day soon, I want to um, showcase them on my YouTube platform. Well, congratulations on that. And then also on walking through your fears and just sharing that now, because I can relate to that and your story of allowing yourself to either pursue or remember passions that are important to you. I've been hearing that a lot with this pandemic. Actually, somebody I just recently interviewed here said the same thing. And he also said a similar thing that I can also relate to with working a corporate job. For me, I worked that for many years and this is not knocking it, but I made this decision before the pandemic, but the pandemic has helped me to say, you know what, I know what my plans are financially and just do what this is and other things that I have going on. So congratulations to you on doing that. And you talked about being nervous. To me, you're a natural at it. One, because I don't know what your process is, but I get that. <laughs> I saw that. You know, if I don't love myself first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But what I read, the content that I've seen of yours so far is that you're doing it more than just to be seen, but to say something constructive. Absolutely. Like it's mainly me just speaking my thoughts and being transparent and just not holding back, giving like my real raw unfiltered opinions on subject matters. Now it is mixed in with a little cussing. That's probably why my channel hasn't grown because I cuss way too much. I'm just speaking my thoughts and speaking like my observations on certain situations and not holding back. Yeah, I just saw the one you did on uh, Monique. I'm like you, I, I don't want to burn any bridges, but I agreed with your commentary. <laughs> I feel like I kind of told the line of being real, but also I have compassion. So you're from Houston. What was it like being from the land of Beyonce <laughs> or <laughs> Destiny's Child? <laughs> Since I've lived here my whole entire life before the pandemic, I was really like just burnt out on Houston. I was so bored with it because it's like I'd been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, what else is there to see? But then like things kind of ramped up during the pandemic because everybody was coming here. This was like the place to be. It's affordable. Even like a lot of celebrities are starting to move here. Like we just got 50 cent for the matter. Growing up in Houston was always, it was fun. There was more things to do back then. Like we had more attractions back in like the 90s and the 2000s. Astroworld, which was one of the biggest theme parks in the United States, which is completely gone now. It's like a parking lot. But I love growing up in Houston. And a fun fact, Beyonce, actually, her mom used to do my mom's hair way back in the day. And my mom is hell Beyonce. I'm a Beehive member, but I'm a logical Beehive member. Now that I'm older and now that I'm actually getting invited to more things, <laughs> I can say that I'm starting to see a newer side of Houston. And it's been a journey, I will say. Houston really is the place to be. I really want to um, retire in Los Angeles or somewhere in California because that's where like a big majority of my family is at that I haven't really connected to yet. But I need to be grounded in Houston. I've come up with the fact that Houston is going to be my main 
base of operation, if that makes sense. <laughs> My main home is going to be in Houston, and I may get a place in California in the future. So would you say, or is Houston like Atlanta? And as far as like the Black culture or the Black influence or even the Black population? Houston, in my opinion, if you got it, you got it. Atlanta to me is very, it's just very um, keeping up with the Joneses. You don't know who was real or fake. Atlanta's cool. I got family out there too. Like for me, it's just not the place to come up anymore like Houston is. At one point, Atlanta used to be the place where you would go to really like get your life started and get things off the ground. Before the pandemic, Houston was a place where like, you already had to be established to make it. There was like a little shift in the universe to where now people are coming here and succeeding. Houston over Atlanta any day. Oh, I forgot to say, too, I came out at 28, too. <laughs> at 28? Yeah. So it's interesting when you shared that. But although you just came out to your family, had you been out with a friend circle or with like in school, were you out? I mainly came out when I got out of college and started working at Nordstrom when I was a stylist. Like, all my coworkers were like, this man is gay. At that point in my life, I was like, if you ask me, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> like, I'm not going to just sit there and lie to you. <laughs> so I was mainly out with my friends all the way up until I came out to my family. What prompted your decision to come out to your family? I just wanted to say, fuck it. <laughs> like, I just wanted to rip the Band-Aid off. It was time... 2020 was, like I said earlier, like a very, very transparent year when I was just taking a hard look at myself and trying to figure out who I am outside of just a man that goes to work. Who is Beasley and who do I want to be? And I wanted to um, launch this YouTube channel because granted, the YouTube channel at that time, like I was still um, publishing publicly. But I was not sharing it on my social media at all. I was not promoting it at all because I'm just like, oh, my God, what if my family sees? What if my brother sees? Because I don't hold back who I am on that YouTube channel at all. Like, I'm gay. I'm gayer than grapes on that channel. <laughs> but I went ahead and just said F it and ripped the bandy off because, for one, I wanted to promote my YouTube channel. And for two, I just wanted to be who I was to the people that I love. And if they didn't accept me, then... I was actually fine with just standing on my own. I was fine with just standing tall by myself and just not giving a fuck because I give too much of a fuck. I really do. And it's been a detriment to me in my whole entire life. And at that point, it was just time for me to do something for me. And I am 100% glad that I did it because it was not easy. The funny thing is I was going to do it during Thanksgiving, but then like I couldn't do it. So then Christmas rolled around. And then it was just like, you know what, let's just go ahead and say what we got to say. My parents, when I came out to them, they just looked at me like, okay. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. <laughs> like, I was so stressed. I had so much acne on my face. I was just crying on the way to the door, terrified. And then they looked at me when I came out to them and just said, okay. Okay. <laughs> My dad even told me, like, I knew you were gay when I saw the bottle of prep pills in your car. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a defining moment in my life that I would never forget. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. That's a huge step. And, you know, the stress and the lowered expectations I know I had when I came out to family and friends in the beginning. I was thinking just everything negative that could have possibly happened was going to happen. 
And when it didn't, I was just like, oh, wow. I stressed myself out that much for that. Are you serious? And then when it came to that, I'm like, if I can do that, I could pretty much do anything. And ever since then, my life has been about me just coming face to face with my fears and stepping over them. I like that. That should be on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Ooh, write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of, I wrote some of your quotes down too, because some of your quotes, one, a lot of them are humorous, but they're just like, wow, that just came off the top of his tongue. But some of them I wrote down where I see the breastplate of (laughs) self-righteousness. I love that. That whole entire skit was me acting like Derek Jackson's wife. Ah, yeah. With the bonnet. Yeah, Yeah, that was me reenacting that because it just fit with the video. Okay. And I'm like, just throw this bonnet on and act like, oh, sister girl, sister soldier. (laughs) So have you done a commentary on that whole thing? I have, actually. It's like way down my timeline. Okay. If you go to her Instagram, she's quite interesting. And I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) I'm going to definitely look for that particular commentary. Some other ones that I wrote down here is her career is about to exercise a back then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Janet Mock. (laughs) I was like, okay, I got to write that one down. And then I wouldn't even want to go to Target with her. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot who I was talking about when I said that. It was one of the uh, reality celebrities. I don't watch them, but just that visual, I was like, that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned earlier that you are an introvert. What was your childhood like? Well, actually, I'm an introverted extrovert. With me, it's a switch that I'm just now learning how to turn on and turn off. I describe myself as a quiet man with a loud personality. I'm usually the quiet one, but people can look at my face and facial expressions and they will just laugh because they can see what I'm thinking. But I was very, 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 very shy growing up. At the age of six, I was very like outgoing, free-spirited. I was legit who I am, kind of like the personality that I'm trying to get back to today, if that makes sense. Like at the age of seven, actually at the age of eight, that's when I came to terms with the fact that I'm gay. But also at the age of eight, I was moved to a school closer to home, but that school was pretty racist. I was like the only black boy at the school. I had like a few friends there, but it was surface level. Like, oh, let's play kickball. Oh, let's play pickup sticks or whatever. And then I had a racist teacher and it was so bad. Like we got into it every single day. And then um, my mom took me out of that school and moved me to a school with other black people. But that's when I started getting made fun of for being gay because it was... I guess, noticeable to them that like, oh, this boy is different. So I kind of just started to shrink into a shell and I became a people pleaser and I just became nice so that I can fit in. But no matter what, I never fit it in. I never fit it in throughout high school or even college for that matter. Middle school, I was overweight. I was bullied. I've been called every name in the book. I was made fun of for how I looked. I was called ugly on a daily basis, which led to body dysmorphia. I wouldn't even just get it from the kids at school. I would get it from my family, too. It's just like I couldn't escape shit. I just shriveled up into a shell that I put myself in for, like, all the way up until, like, I want to say the end of college, to be honest with you. Now, college, I tried my hardest to, like, fit in and step out. I joined multiple organizations, and I just never meshed with anybody. I never fit in with anybody. So I'm just like, okay, what the fuck is wrong with me? What am I doing wrong that repels people? Because I was alone a lot. 
no matter how many people I knew, I was just by myself, eat lunch by myself, go to class by myself, be in my dorm by myself. And it wasn't until after I got out of college when I started to develop a personality <laughs> and really step into who I was. And um, basically, like it started when I started styling people and people were liking the things that I put them in. Because I always had an eye for fashion. I just never had the money. <laughs> so I just never had the money to buy shit. Hmm. I would style people and people would like really mesh with my personality and it brought out a lot of courage and spirit out of me. I will say when I got into corporate America, I kind of shriveled back into that ball again because in corporate America, you're just at a desk for eight hours a day by yourself. You only like talk when you're in like meetings with other people. And then I would barely even talk when I was in the meetings. I was always at a subordinate level. It felt like my input was never important. So I would be in these meetings not really saying shit. It was me creating this YouTube channel is when I started to once again step back out of my shell. It's like I'm meeting that six-year-old free-spirited little boy all over again. That's where I'm at right now. Getting back to who I was and elevating and growing into the man that I want to be and know that I can be. That's beautiful. I'm a generation ahead of you. And so when you talk about that uh, negativity that you received, my first thought was, what were they looking at? Obviously, that was about them and not about you. It's a little sad to hear because me being older, that still is something that one has to struggle with, is people finding ways to try to squash your light. Mm-hmm. I'm at that age now where I'm just like, if you got something to say, I'm going to say something back to you. <laughs> but I'm still maintaining that kindness because kindness is a power that I've found out a lot of people don't have. I'm going to keep it that way, but I'm also trying to learn how to set boundaries with people. And that's what I read when I first saw you on uh, YouTube. Yeah, uh, relatability. It's an asset, I believe, from a professional standpoint and from a marketing standpoint. It's what drew me to reach out to you. So yeah, genuine is a great word to use. That's what I read when I saw your first video. Thank you. Yeah. But you said you knew you were gay when you were eight. How did that awareness come about at that age? I was played with Barbie dolls, for one. I was always into like fashion, glitz, and glamour. I still even have a collection of Barbie dolls right now. And then at the age of like seven, I tried to have like a little play girlfriend because I thought that's just what you're supposed to do as a boy. But then it wasn't until like eight, and then I moved to that school with the racist teacher. I actually developed my first crush. It was on like a little white boy Bobby. Now, I'll date any race today. Black always comes first, but white was the only thing around me growing up as a kid. He was like a neighbor down the street, and we just vibed. Like, we hung out a lot. Nothing never escalated to anything, but I did have a crush on him. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm gay. I really do like this little boy. I always knew, but I would always try to deflect. Like, no, I'm not gay. I can't be gay. And then on top of that, you have your parents. My mom even told me, like... Funny story, like this was actually when I was 13. She walked in on me watching porn. <laughs> and she was like, you ain't gay. You ain't never going to be gay. But I just always knew that I was different. And in eight is when I really came to terms with it, when I developed my first crush. Being in Texas, from an American standpoint, I know it's part of the South and has a reputation. I don't want to say your experience lived up to that, but... Is there a noticeable difference between Texas and the South when it comes to race and racism? Other cities in Texas, I feel like, are more racist than Houston, like your vital Texas, certain parts of Austin, Texas. Dallas is pretty cool for the most part. 
Houston, I feel like the racism is a little more covered up. They will cohabitate with you and they will be cool with you and talk to you. Like back in my corporate job, one of the people I reported to, he was really nice too, but my coworker told me like, oh yeah, you know he's racist, right? And I was just like, I had no idea. To be honest with you, the way he looked at me in the meetings, I thought he was flirting with me or something. But (laughs) it is what it is. I feel like Houston's a more stressful environment, to be honest with you. It's becoming like New York, in my opinion. I actually went to New York right before the pandemic. I went to the last New Year's Eve in Times Square, all that. New York was very, very like open as well. It was like a melting pot of different races, everybody cohabitating. Kind of like Houston, but New York had a more like creative feel to it. But I will say the people there are very, very hard. <laughs> very hard. Yeah, they don't hold back. They don't bite their tongue. Like Houston, everybody is very... um like Southern comfort, like everybody has Southern hospitality. Everybody's very nice for the most part. New York, they don't give a fuck. If you do something they don't like, they will call you out. But I love New York though. I love the realness. My dad's side is from New York and I have a cousin. We're really close and she's 4'11". On the subway with her and this guy was talking on the phone and she just went off on him. And I'm like, you're about this big. (laughs) It was a culture shock to me, you know, like you said, coming from the South or even from Arizona. And then my mother's family's from Oklahoma. So I'm sure that influenced me as far as being nice and polite. But seeing how New Yorkers do it. Oh, in New York, I got cussed out on the subway, too. It was actually funny because I was holding on to the rail and then the subway moved and I fell. This lady was sitting on the bench and then like I accidentally put my hand on her knee to help me like stabilize myself so I can get up. And she's like, don't put your fucking hand on my knee. And I was just like, oh, girl, okay, calm down. First of all, I don't even swing that way. But I'm sorry for violating your space, but like you legit saw me fall. I apologize. Now, I know what you're doing now professionally and some of your recent accomplishments, but did you have any career aspirations growing up? I got to be honest with you, though. My main career aspirations were entertainment. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a singer. I was in the choir for X amount of years. Before the pandemic, I was even in choir at my church that I went to. My aspirations were always rooted in entertainment, but you know, I have a dad who's an engineer and then I have a mom who's a nurse. It's not that they were against it, but they were like, you need to do something more professional. You need to get you like a good nine to five with benefits. You need to get a job and you need to focus on that. And that's why they put me at the university to get a degree, even though I got out and couldn't find a job for four years. But I was fine because I was doing pretty good at Nordstrom as a stylist. It was actually fun to me. My aspirations were always rooted in doing something either in entertainment, beauty, or fashion. Now, at first in college, I tried to become an engineer. I hated that shit. I hated it with a fucking passion. I just could not do it. Like, like I could do the work, like the math and the science. It wasn't that difficult, but I just did not give a fuck about anything that I was doing. So I switched my major, which I enjoyed, but it didn't get me the job that I wanted. It was like the world was trying to shift me back into the creative space. And I was resisting it the entire time by trying my hardest, getting turned down on multiple, multiple interviews just to get a job in corporate America. And I got that job and I wasn't happy with it. I feel like now I'm trying to get back to my creative side, my creative way of doing things, because that's really what makes me happy. Receiving like positive feedback on the creative things that I put out, that really is what makes me truly happy. 
What is the scene like as a black gay man in Houston or in Texas? (sighs) (laughs) Around, I want to say, March, that's when I started taking dating seriously. There's only a few black gay clubs. Right now we have three. I think it's like 2020. Crocker is not a black gay club, but a lot of black gays go there. Like it's very, very popular amongst all the gays. That's actually the one bar that I love because the drinks are strong and very cheap. I don't know if it's just my personality, but I've been able to connect with like the upper echelon of the gays, if that makes sense. Like Kevin Samuels will say high value men. That's what I've been able to date. But the shit never lasts. <laughs> it never lasts because there's just too many options. Especially if you're like a top in the black gay community, you're a hot commodity. They basically have like the pick of the litter. I think the longest I've talked to somebody will probably be the max two to three weeks and they all just fall off. So I'm pretty single, but I will say the scene overall, it's fun. But it's like, you don't want to be too much in the scene because you don't want to get distracted. Life's not about having fun every single day. Like at some point you got to do the work. And I feel like the black gay club scene will distract you from that. With me, I treat the gay scene as dip in, dip out. (laughs) (laughs) I mainly only go out if I'm invited. I don't go anywhere unless somebody invites me to because I'm pretty much a homebody at this point. I'd rather just be in the house chilling. But when I do go out, I do have a great time. And with the fact that I do it every now and then, that allows me to have like a little bit of a balance in my life. Like I'm able to go balls to the wall and have fun when I go out, but I'm also in grind mode and I'm focusing on that as well. My mother, she didn't used to say it, but I must've heard it a couple of times because it's stuck is if you run the streets long enough, you start to look like it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And at my age, I can't afford to have wrinkles. <laughs> I was going to say, you talked about style, and one of the things I liked is, you know, I'm growing my hair out too, so I like your hair. Where are you? YouTube has been another great place to find solace and education on hair. I know a lot of Black women talk about starting a relationship with your natural hair, and I feel that that's the journey I've been on the last few years. I don't know if gay men say it, but I've heard straight men say, oh, why don't you straighten your hair or whatever? The choice is yours regardless. But um, with me doing this, I think all men, Black men, we need to see what our hair actually looks like beyond the fade so that we can understand what women have known forever. I was just about to say that, actually, because for the longest, I used to just cut my hair. I used to just get a ball fade. So one day I was just like, fuck it. Let me just let it grow. I don't know. Like black men, I feel like they cut their hair way too much. They push their hairline back because they're going to edge up every single week. That's not how you're supposed to do it. I feel like they need to grow their hair out and just let it be what it's supposed to be. And not all white people. I'm not going to say this, but some of them are kind of like... I don't want to say intimidated by our hair, the way it grows, but some of them question like, oh, why don't you cut your hair? Like, why are you letting your hair grow out? What's going on? I just feel like to let your hair grow, that's you kind of like get in touch with who you are and how you're supposed to look naturally. And falling in love with it. Because I started this just by chance because my barber was sick for a while. And then a woman at work who was natural, and I really liked her hair. And I said, oh, I really like your hair. And she goes, you can grow yours out too. And it's much more versatile than you realize. And I was like, 
I don't think so. I think I know my hair, but I didn't know my hair. So that was one of the things that immediately stood out to me. It's like, oh, he's growing his hair. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you mentioned in one of your videos that I saw, I don't think you used the term, but what I got from it was uh, colorism. These group of people or this person describes me this way, and then this group of people or this person describes me this way in connection to my skin tone. I know that's become more of a conversation online. Is that something that was prominent or that you were aware of growing up either in the home or in the community? Mainly in the community because, you know, majority white people I grew up with, but it was also like when I got into fourth or fifth grade, it was like a mix of every single race under the sun. I was either too black for the white people or I was too white for the black people. Like that whole entire Oreo saying, like, that's what people perceive me. Even to this day, I don't really have that many white friends like that. I've been told that I talk very proper. It's that old dated saying of, why do you talk so white? Are we still on this? (laughs) There's people out there that still think that way, which is just baffling to me. Like, you can't help how you talk. It is what it is. I'm glad that we're actually having these discussions about the whole entire acting white and colorism, featurism, all that. I think it's mainly because social media, because for the longest, we never had a group of people that were able to talk about the same experiences that they faced until social media came around. It's good that we're having these discussions, even though a lot of people choose to be ignorant about them still to this day. It's great that that commentary is happening so that we can change things around for this newer generation coming up. Hopefully we can change the dialogue and how they treat each other. So these conversations that we're having is laying the groundwork for them. I can say for myself within the home, I wasn't really conscious of it because to me it was black folks or black folks and within your own family, I, I could see things. I didn't understand until I was fully into adulthood that a person's skin tone was connected to their social currency or the level of their social currency. I want to know how we can, like you said, change it and make it so that that is not a part of how a person is valued. For myself, I don't want to know too much. I don't want to know really where I stand because I don't want to filter in that type of colonialism. I can't say that word. (laughs) It's going to take a lot of work to fix. It was used to divide us. And it's still to this day very, very prevalent in the Black community. We're fighting with each other, and then other races look down on us due to anti-Blackness, due to racism. It's going to take a lot of fucking work. Maybe whenever the aliens touch down, that's when we will unify together. Now, as a YouTuber, as somebody who is using uh, social media in a professional capacity, How has it been for you as far as feedback from people or from commenters or from the public? It's been an adjustment. (laughs) I will say I'm thankful that majority of my feedback is positive. If I have constructive criticism, it's mainly on like, oh, you could have edited that differently. Oh, you could have inserted a clip here or you could have talked about that more. I don't really get a whole lot of negative feedback. I I did have this one girl call me a... um, a shameless bitch with no class. But (laughs) besides that, the feedback has been pretty positive in the process of posting more on my social media because for the longest, that was something that I didn't really do. It's like I would be touch and go with social media. I could be very inspired and feeling myself and post pictures of myself and post comments and commentary. 
And then other times I could just be like not on social media at all for like a week or two. So I'm trying to get back to doing it more consistently now that I'm in this creative um, capacity and trying to shift myself into the creative capacity full time. I'm trying to get more content, start taking more pictures of myself, of course, posting more of my YouTube clips and really just beefing up my social media presence. Like I'm at the beginning of the journey and I'm enjoying the ride so far. Now, in your personal life, uh, prior to this, of uh, the generation that kind of grew up with social media, was that a problem in high school or in college? I am the one generation that grew up at the very beginning of everything. And um, middle school was when it all started. It was MySpace. <laughs> I forgot about MySpace. <laughs> yes, MySpace used to be a beast. Like MySpace used to cause drama, mainly because... Well, how come you didn't put me in your top five? How come I'm not in your top 10? Like, what's going on? How come I'm not a friend on your page? All that jazz. It was very, like, small, petty drama. And then there was also, like, Bebo and Black Planet and all that other bullshit. Black Planet, yeah. (laughs) And dating on Black Planet, yeah. (laughs) I think Black Planet's actually making a comeback. But in high school, things started to shift mainly to Facebook. Facebook was, like, a little more toned down. There was, like, a little beef between high school and college students because at first Facebook was just meant for college students. The college students didn't want high schoolers coming in having Facebook profiles and being able to see their social media pages and all that. I was at the beginning of like Vine. Vine was pretty popular. I never used Vine. I would get on Vine to look at other people's Vines, but Vine was like Snapchat before Snapchat. And college was the beginning of Instagram. When Instagram wasn't even like the big, massive beast that it is today, like Instagram was very basic. But now Instagram causes a lot of anxiety with people. It's like pressure to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, showcase this lifestyle. It's literally like stunting for the gram is a real thing. Just so you can showcase this personality and this persona that you truly aren't. Like you're not really living that life. It's a gift and a curse, if that makes sense. No, I understand that. And again, I, I mentioned earlier that your commentary is balanced and it sounds like you're making sure you do that and how you promote yourself too. Oh, yes. And so when you're not on YouTube or doing anything professional, how do you wind down or do you have any extracurricular activities like travel or anything like that? Well, absolutely. I go to the gym. I mentioned earlier that I'm doing makeup. I practice makeup looks on myself. Makeup is fun. It's absolutely fun to me. I'm a huge video gamer. I love video games. It's a stress reliever. What else do I do? I do like hanging with my friends. I like to window shop as well. (laughs) I'm trying to save money. I'm trying my best. Overall, like I'm just a black gay man that has a lot of different interests. Now, Houston, what is it known for as far as food? Us being country, (laughs) country people, (laughs) riding on horseback. Houston, we're known for Tex-Mex, <laughs> but the food is good. Our barbecue is on point. Houston, to me, is like classy country. I like that. Yeah, we're country mixed with a little bit of business and corporate mindset. I just love Houston. Like, it's a very unique place. Do you have any last comments or anything you want to share? Well, one thing I just want to say to any person out there, any black gay man, or any gay man, anybody, don't be afraid to face your fears. When you face your fears, that's when you become who you are and who you are truly meant to be. Don't let any type of fears, negative thoughts, negative feelings, don't let any of that shit 
hold you back because you're holding yourself back from your higher purpose. Become who you are. Step into who you want to be. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great way to end it. You know, that was good. Thank you so much again. And genuine. I just go back to that. I mean, we're in a different country. We're not in the same room, but I just feel this great energy. So thank you again. And thank you for coming on here. And I will continue to follow you and I look forward to your continued success. And also follow me on Instagram at Prince underscore Beasley. That's spelled B-E-A-S-L-E-Y. My YouTube channel is Beasley Says. I do have a Twitter. I'm going to start posting on it. It's at The Fallen Prince. But Prince is spelled P-R-I-N-C-3. Because the regular spelling of Prince was taken. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends, too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.